Vice President Harris in the Philippines, reaffirming Washington's unwavering defense commitment to the country. Debris from a Chinese rocket launch retrieved by the Philippine Navy, but later the material forcibly seized by a Chinese vessel. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg apologizing for criticism of China. The critique came from British former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, accusing Beijing of a candid disregard for the rule of international law. And is Australia shifting its allegiance? The nation's Prime Minister hinting at pulling support for a Taiwanese bid to join a major trade bloc, just days after meeting with China's leader. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart, in for Tiffany Meyer. Vice President Harris' latest trip to Asia includes an unusual stop, the South China Sea. On Monday, she is set to become the highest-ranking U.S. official ever to visit the Philippine island chain of Palawan. Here's more. U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris is in the Philippines. Meeting with the country's president on Monday in Manila, she reaffirmed Washington's unwavering commitment to the Philippines' defense. We stand with you in defense of international rules and norms as it relates to the South China Sea, an armed attack on the Philippines' armed forces, public vessels, or aircraft in the South China Sea would invoke U.S. mutual defense commitments. Harris's three-day trip to the Philippines includes a stop on the islands of Palawan on Tuesday. Beijing claims some territories in the waters off the Palawan Islands and much of the South China Sea. In the past, Chinese ships have blocked Philippine supply boats there to deliver supplies to Filipino forces. The vice president's trip aims to help revive U.S.-Philippines ties. That's to counter China's recent aggressions in the Pacific region, like China's expansive claim in the disputed South China Sea and Taiwan. The Philippines play a key role in this diplomatic effort. It's located near the South China Sea and just over 100 miles from Taiwan. Experts say strong U.S.-Philippines relations could greatly complicate China's plan to invade the island. Harris's visit there has been met with protests from some groups. We don't want our, our country to be used as the uh, springboard or launching pad of the wars of the United States against China or any other country. Washington is investing millions to help the nation modernize its military. But the country has not committed to supporting any U.S. intervention in a conflict over Taiwan. Next, a conflict off the coast of the Philippines. Chinese ships have blocked Filipino supply boats before in the disputed South China Sea. But seizing objects from the country's military? That would mark a first and is exactly what happened over the weekend. A Philippine Navy commander said Monday that China's Coast Guard blocked a Philippine naval boat twice, cut its towing cable, and forcibly seized rocket debris retrieved by the Philippine Navy. The suspected debris appears to be from a recent Chinese rocket launch. No one was injured in the incident. Following the accusation, China denied there was a forcible seizure and claimed the debris was handed over by the Philippine forces after a, quote, friendly consultation. In the past, China has been criticized for letting rocket stages fall back to Earth. U.S. space agency NASA has called on Beijing to redesign rockets so that they disintegrate upon re-entry, as is the norm internationally. The South China Sea is one of the world's most disputed regions, with several countries claiming ownership of its small islands. China claims almost all of the South China Sea and has been rapidly expanding its military presence in the region. Businessman and former New York City mayor Michael Bloomberg is sending out an apology, 
Speaking at a Bloomberg Business Forum, he addressed remarks by British former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, criticizing the political systems in China and Russia. Johnson described Beijing and Moscow as willing to show a candid disregard for the rule of international law and said they had, over the past year, demonstrated the immense limitations of their political systems by the disastrous mistakes they had made. He added they are becoming increasingly nationalist. Speakers at the event included Chinese Vice President Wang Qishan. A number of Chinese businessmen also attended as delegates. There were no Russian government speakers listed on the forum's program. During his apology, Mr. Bloomberg said, those were his thoughts and his thoughts alone, not cleared in advance by anyone or shared with me personally. He didn't specify whether his apologies was aimed at Chinese or Russian people. Worth noting, he wore a small Ukrainian flag badge on his suit and criticized what he called Putin's brutal invasion. He also announced that Ukraine's president would address the forum remotely. Johnson's spokesman said the criticism was aimed at the China's political system, not the nation or its people. Neither China's foreign ministry nor a spokesperson for Bloomberg LP gave comments to the press. A warning from one of the world's most powerful military alliances. NATO's secretary general says the West needs to be careful not to create new dependencies. Most notably on China. We see growing Chinese efforts to control our critical infrastructure, supply chains and key industrial sectors. The remark comes after a Chinese company bought up stake in Europe's third largest shipping port, called the Port of Hamburg, located in Germany. That same company already holds stake in Europe's two largest ports. Germany is a member of NATO, short for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It's a military alliance between 30 nations and was founded after the World War II to counter the Soviet Union. Member states include major powers in the West, like the U.S., U.K., and France. Stoltenberg noted it's essential to boost the resilience of the West's infrastructure. But since resilience is a collective effort, he's counting on all member countries to do their part. Australia's prime minister hinting he's unlikely to support Taiwan's bid to join a major trade pact. That's just three days after meeting Chinese leader Xi Jinping. Here's more on the details. The pact is called the CPTPP. Members of the bloc generate over 10% of global income. The bloc is a free trade deal that cuts over 90% of the tariffs on most industries for sales between member states. Pacific nations like Australia and Japan are part of the club. Both Taiwan and China are applying to join. To do so, they need to get a yes vote from all member countries. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese called the trade bloc a relationship between nation states which are recognized. He went on to specify that Taiwan is represented as an economy. China sees Taiwan as a breakaway province. The regime has been vowing to take the island under control by force if necessary. That's despite the Chinese Communist Party having never ruled Taiwan. Under pressure from Beijing, only 14 countries maintain formal diplomatic relations with Taiwan. Three days before Albanese's remark, he met with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. Albanese had hoped to persuade Xi to lift trade barriers on Australian goods. There have been issues with the relationship. Uh, we have some $20 billion of economic sanctions against Australia. Uh, but that is not in Australia's interest in terms of our jobs and the economy, but it's also not in China's interest. Australia has world-class products in seafood, in meat, in wine, in other products 
that we export to China. It is in China's interest to receive those products. It's in Australia's interest to export them. Relations between the two countries soured in recent years. That's after Australia called for an investigation into the origins of the Chinese Communist Party virus, which causes COVID-19. China slapped trade barriers on the country, costing Australia exporters over $13 billion per year. But the Australian government appeared to walk back Albanese's remark. That's after Taiwan reached out for clarification. Here's Taiwan's response. The Australian government later told us that there's no change to its stance on Taiwan's bid to join CPTPP. Australia still welcomes all economies that qualify for CPTPP, including Taiwan, to join the bloc. Taiwan said it would continue to urge member states to welcome it into the pact. A balancing act between two world powers, the United States and China. This is a situation many countries are facing right now, especially nations surrounding the South China Sea. Let's zoom in. On one side is the Chinese Communist regime, a close neighbor, important trading partner, and major moneylender. But China has ongoing territory disputes with most of the countries in the region and has worked to spread its influence in the region. On the other side is the U.S., a faraway nation home to advanced technology that's working to maintain the world order and free trade in the region. Given the tug of war, Indonesia has decided not to choose sides. Its defense minister confirmed Monday that Indonesia is committed to its policy of non-alignment. That's with both China and the United States. He made the remark after meeting with his U.S. counterpart in the country's capital. We consider China to be a friendly nation to Indonesia. He added that he believes the two countries could manage their territory disputes with a friendly attitude. Meanwhile, the U.S. is selling advanced military aircraft to Indonesia, despite its friendliness with Beijing. The country's defense minister said a purchase of 36 American F-15 fighter jets is awaiting final sign-off from the Indonesian government, totaling $14 billion. There was no mention of what Indonesia would use the jets to protect itself from. Worth noting, the Chinese communist regime is the only main military threat in the region. The U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin praised the deal. The acquisition of the F-15 uh, certainly increases interoperability. Uh, it enables uh, our ability to share information. And as uh, we, uh, we train on those platforms, uh, we'll train uh, together to uh, make sure that we're using common uh, policies and practices. The meeting between the two defense heads comes as the U.S. works to strengthen its ties with countries in the region. That's to counter Beijing's growing military presence and a possible conflict over Taiwan. China said on Friday it would resume joint exercises with Indonesia. The drills had been suspended due to the pandemic. Despite the non-alignment policy, there's still more happening in Indonesia. On its home soil, the country is working with China through Beijing's Belt and Road Infrastructure Initiative. Under it, Indonesia's first high-speed railway is under construction. The near 90-mile railway line comes with a high price tag, $8 billion and more than half of it is funded by a Chinese loan. The railway is being built with Chinese technology and partly by Chinese workers. That causes a round-trip effect, where part of the money coming from China also goes back to China. Indonesia is now more than $22 billion in debt to China. One local media outlet called it a ticking time bomb for the Indonesian economy. President Biden met with Chinese leader Xi Jinping in Indonesia last week. Biden has said communication between the two countries is key. 
Frank Gaffney, executive chairman of the Center for Security Policy, compared the talks with a historical meeting before the Second World War in Munich. Here's what he had to say. Frank, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So recently, headlines are abuzz with Xi Jinping meeting with President Biden in Bali, and you seem to be making the argument that this could be Munich 2.0. So what do you mean by that? Well, Munich 1.0, of course, was a notorious uh, diplomatic fiasco in which leaders of the Western world at the time, the British and French prime ministers, met with Adolf Hitler and his mini-me, Benito Mussolini, the Axis powers of the day, to try to fashion some kind of arrangement whereby war could be avoided. And the Western leaders came into the meeting um, desperate to avoid a conflict, willing to appease their potential adversaries, and deluded, really, into thinking they could come up with some sort of arrangement that would actually prevent the aggression that, in that case, uh, the totalitarians were bent on engaging in. And I, I think in each of those scores, Munich 2.0, what took place in Bali between Joe Biden and Xi Jinping, the newly coronated Chinese Communist Emperor, was an exercise in futility of a similar kind. I, I think Biden came in determined to try to avoid a conflict that Xi Jinping is determined equally, and if not more, to engage in. Biden went in talking about, you know, how we're just competing and how we're going to be able to cooperate. In other words, trying to fashion ways in which Xi Jinping could be appeased. And most especially, most ominously, Biden seems to think that Xi is, in fact, a man that he can do business with, he can deal with, he can make deals specifically to avoid conflict with. None of that is true. And hence, I think it gives rise, who knows, it took a year for the Axis powers to go to full world war against the Brits and the French and others. I don't think we've got that kind of time if a similar kind of um, response is now in the works with Xi Jinping taking the measure of Joe Biden, a man he knows, after all, quite well, and reading him as someone he can engage in aggression against with impunity. And that's my fear. Coming up, are we truly in peacetime as nations focus on issues like climate, trade, and technology? Frank Gaffney, executive chairman of the Center for Security Policy, is calling that claim delusional and says the U.S. needs clarity on the Taiwan issue. At this point, we're much better served, I think, by clarity as to what the consequences would be if China acts aggressively against Taiwan, namely that it would involve conflict with the United States. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart, in for Tiffany Meyer. 
Frank Gaffney, executive chairman of the Center for Security Policy, believes the U.S. should give up its strategic ambiguity policy toward Taiwan. He said the public takeaway from President Biden isn't peace in our time, but he's taking issue with that way of thinking. Here's more on his perspective. And Frank, on the note of potential war, it seems Biden was mentioning there is no imminent threat in regards to a Beijing invasion of Taiwan. While it seems military experts are arguing the opposite. So what's your view on all of this? Well, I take counsel with people who are deeply knowledgeable about military matters and intelligence uh, with great regularity. And the consensus that I'm hearing, which I happen to share, is that Xi Jinping, having now squared away his political constraints, such as they were prior to the 20th Party Congress, is now in a position, should he choose to do so, to go for it in Taiwan, basically from a standing start, which is to say without additional preparations, without additional warning that an invasion, that attacks, what have you, are in the offing. And if that's the case, then we could very well find ourselves completely flat-footed and unable to come to Taiwan's defense. So what should the U.S. do then to make sure this doesn't happen? Well, we need to replace a policy that we have observed for decades now. Uh, Biden, when asked, has repeatedly walked away from it, but then his White House, usually on an unnamed you know, source basis, walked back what he said. But the policy that we've been pursuing and what Biden said again in Bali is one of strategic ambiguity, that we recognize only one China, which means that Taiwan is a part of China, but we don't want that to become forcibly a part of China. And that ambiguity about what we would do if force is used against Taiwan and what effect it would have in terms of direct conflict between the United States and China is, I think, fraught with peril at this point. We're much better served, I think, by clarity as to what the consequences would be if China acts aggressively against Taiwan, namely that it would involve conflict with the United States. Um, I'm not sure that that will deter China at this point, given all the other signals that have been sent and given the plans that have been put in place. But I think that's the bare minimum we have to do. And just based on this meeting between President Biden and Xi Jinping, what does this tell us about the future of the U.S.-China relationship? Um, I, I think what we're hearing from Joe Biden is peace in our time, that we've somehow steered this relationship with Xi in a way that is going to make it possible for us to work together on climate change and on, you know, the various other challenges of trade and uh, technology and the like. That's not so. That is delusional and 
is deceiving the American people, who I believe at this point especially must be put on notice that Xi Jinping intends not just the kind of warfare that China has been waging against us for decades, the so-called unrestricted, if you will, pre-kinetic kind, but the violent kind, the traditional forms of aggression with all of their murderous qualities. We need to know that that's now in the offing, and we need to know that because we need to be prepared, if we can still do it, to deter it, and if not, at least to protect against it. And Frank, best case scenario, what should our China vision be? What should a good U.S.-China relation look like? Well, I think there will only be a good relation with China, and I, by that I really mean the people of China, if we can help them liberate themselves from the Chinese Communist Party. I don't see a circumstance in which the Chinese Communist Party will be anything other than brutally oppressive to the people of China and ruthlessly dangerous to us. And what would be some ways of making that happen? I've heard some experts talk about a free internet in China. What's your idea on that? Yeah, I think the freedom uh, starts with an understanding of their circumstances. Uh, and that requires access to information well, programs like this, for example, I think is something that we should be very much encouraging them to receive and facilitating their ability to receive it. And I think there are technical means by which we can help in that regard. Um, I think that in addition, we need to be uh, making clear that we see a real distinction between the Chinese Communist Party and the people of China so that they understand that uh, we're actually on their side. And we regard the CCP as a threat both to them and to us. Secure, the true solution for your digital privacy and security. Secure is a private and secure messaging and email solution hosted in Switzerland using military-grade encryption and Swiss privacy laws, giving you true privacy. Secure is 100% private and does not collect or sell any of your personal data. Secure's Helix technology connects you securely to our Swiss servers without the need of a VPN, guaranteeing privacy and security for all your communications. Secure Messenger doesn't require your phone number or any personal data that hackers target. Chat by Invites allows you to chat privately and securely with anyone outside of your secure network without the need for others to download Secure. Secure Send offers you a private and secure way to email anyone outside of Secure. You won't find this level of privacy or security on any other email or instant messaging application. Visit secure.com. Regain and protect your privacy today. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Ellie Hart. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.